Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Do you Christians really believe Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, historically, bodily, he really rose from the dead, like his body's not there in the tomb on Easter Sunday. Is that is that what you really believe? I mean, those things don't happen. I mean, science has never proven a resurrection before. And you know, isn't this just maybe some legend that was made up in the early church? You know, this is just some myth that was created by those early Christians. and Or maybe there was some big conspiracy at the beginning, you know, those apostles that have been following Jesus around for all those years when they saw their their master, their Lord, be, be crucified and, and killed. They were just all distraught and so sad and wondering, what, what could we do? And so they, they conspire together and say, let's go steal the body. And then we'll tell everybody he rose from the dead, and and then we could still be those great leaders, and uh, and 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 still have a great job, and have, be really important in the world, and and maybe they just made it all up. Do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Now, if you had someone ask you those questions—a friend, a family member, a coworker—how would you respond? Because we know the resurrection from the dead, Jesus's resurrection, is the very, at the very center of our Catholic faith. And yet many Catholics may not quite understand that there's good reasons for believing that Jesus really rose from the dead. Now, I want to be clear, our faith in the resurrection, just like all the mysteries of the faith, it involves faith. It involves not just reason, but we believe things that go beyond our reason. That's what faith involves. It's something that has been revealed to us, and and we believe it, and it goes beyond reason. But I want to be clear that the mysteries of the faith, while they go beyond reason, are not unreasonable. They're not against reason. They're not anti-reason. <laughs> They're actually built on reason. They just go beyond them. And I don't think many Catholics are aware of the good reasons for us to believe in the resurrection, to help us defend and explain the resurrection in our modern world. And it's some of those good reasons I want to take a look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and Alleluia! He is risen! Happy Easter to you all! I pray you had a a blessed Triduum, and you're experiencing the joy of this wonderful season of Easter. Uh, I know in the Sri family, we always have our amazing tradition, and we did it again this Easter. Uh, we made hundreds of homemade raviolis. This is this is the what we do every Christmas, every Easter. I use my my grandma's recipe, my ninety eight year old nana that my children call the beast nana, the great grandmother for them. My grandmother. We still use her recipe, and I always take pictures and show her and all the raviolis that we made. And we had a we had a great wonderful feast for the great day of Easter. And every day this week, by the way, all eight days this week are a great day of celebration. It is like Sunday every day this week. This is the greatest week of all the weeks of the year. So blessed Easter to you all. But let's get to the the foundation for why we're celebrating this week and these 50 days of this great season. You know, I want to take you back in time to an important moment in my life. I remember as a graduate student in Rome, and I flew to Israel at the end of one of my, my one of my semesters to go on a Holy Land pilgrimage for the first time to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, see the places he saw and where he taught and healed and prayed. And it was just amazing. But one of the most moving experiences was going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And that's the massive complex built over Calvary and over the tomb of Jesus. 
And I remember waiting in this long line, I think it was like an hour or two, just this long line with thousands of people to go up and to touch the rock of Calvary, the very spot where Jesus died. And then to be able to go and then pray at the tomb of Jesus where, where he was buried. It was just so moving. But I, I can remember even back then just pondering this thing, wow, this is so moving. And it's not just me, it's that thousands of people that were here this day and the millions of people who have come to these places over the last 2,000 years is just incredible. But I also remember just thinking at this about this from a historical perspective. You know, they, why did they come here? Just wondering from a historical perspective, why do people come to remember this man's death? There were many people that died in first century Judaism. Why do we remember Jesus? Oh, he was a great leader. Well, there are many leaders in the first century Jewish world. Why do we remember him? Well, he claimed to be the Messiah. Well, I knew again from enough history that there were many other people that claimed to be Messiah. I don't know if you know that, but there were people in the generation or two before Jesus and the generation or two after him, people that were claiming to be a king and starting a movement and they start gathering people and the Romans are, are threatened by this and they oftentimes will, will kill the leader. And what's fascinating is every time they killed the leader, the movement died. The movement started to fade away. It fizzled out. When the leader dies, the movement dies. That's what you see happening in every other situation with first century Jewish messiahs, people that claim to be the king, every one of them except Jesus. And this is just fascinating, just a fascinating historical fact. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer. You could be an atheist. But I, I think just looking at the historical facts, this is fascinating that Jesus's movement is different. He started a movement. He claimed to be a king, announcing a kingdom. He, he's starting this messianic movement, and he also ends up being killed by the Romans. But when he dies, his movement doesn't die, like all the others. When he dies, his movement actually takes off and grows like never before. And it grows exponentially and spreads all across the known world. It's incredible. Just from a purely historical perspective. Again, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer to be fascinated by that. We should be asking the question, why? Why did Jesus's movement take off after he died when all the other messianic movements died when the leader died? Do you want to know why? Well, I'll tell you what all of the leaders of that movement after Jesus died, what they said, those apostles, those early Christian leaders, they all understood why it took off. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating this week. But something happened. Whatever you may believe about the resurrection, you need to wrestle with the fact, the truth, that something dramatic happened with Jesus that was very different than all those other Jewish leaders that had died. Now, what are some of those theories that are out there? There have been many theories over the last few decades and the last century or two trying to explain away the resurrection, trying to say, well, there's another reason this reason, this movement took off. It wasn't that Jesus rose from the dead. It was just the apostles made it all up. You know, there was a conspiracy. They stole the body. That's what they did. You know, this, this is the theory, that the apostles got together, stole the body, and they went around proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, let's just take a look at that. Is, is that possible? I mean, I guess it's possible, but let, let's just think, does it seem likely does that seem to be the best answer here? You know, Think about the apostles and the early Christians, what they were known for. They were known for their high ethical standard. People were moved. People in the Roman world were moved by the love of the Christians, their love for each other, their love for the poor, their love for the sick. 
They just exhibited this tremendous love and they had this high ethical standard, high standards about being committed to others, responsibility to care for the poor, just, just these high ethical standards to be honest, to be truthful, to be just, to be merciful. Is it possible that their high ethical standard that they exhibited, not just in their words, but even in their own actions, the way they lived, is it possible that the whole system was built on a lie? I mean, I, I guess it's possible, but is it likely? doesn't seem likely. The Christians who were known for such virtue, such care for the lowly and the suffering, and not only their own people, but even the poor, the widows that were not a part of their community, the babies that were thrown away, aborted basically, left on the streets, they would adopt in Rome. The, the early Christians were known for this amazing, inspiring, high ethical standard based on Jesus's words, not just to love your neighbor as yourself, but to love one another as he loves us. The amazing love of Christ is the high standard. Is it possible that this whole ethical vision is based on a lie? Well, possible, yes, but likely no. And then think about this. Who dies for a lie? You know, all of them end up suffering so much for belief in the resurrection. They all are persecuted. Eleven of these apostles end up being martyred. But does someone die for a lie? I mean, maybe, but, but think about it. They all, they all did this. And, and it wasn't like they were all together in the room at the same time. You know, this isn't like some group think going on. There's all this peer pressure to maintain the lie, and they're all dr- sipping from the same Kool-Aid and putting pressure on each other. That is not what happened. You have men that are going to different cities, different parts of the Roman Empire, and, uh, and at different times in different places on their own, they individually choose to die for their belief in the resurrection. If they were making it all up, would they really die for that lie? I mean, I, couldn't you picture at least one of them just saying, wait, hold on, I, I'm sorry, you know, I admit, yeah, we made it all up, just, just, just to save himself. That's all he had to do is just, just admit, oh, I, I, it was a lie, we stole the body. Not a single one does that. So is it, is it possible that they all die? I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible, but that just does not seem likely that they would all individually, across the board, go and die for a lie. And then add on the other historical facts. Think about what happened when Jesus dies, the Romans put him in a, they have him put in a tomb and they, and they seal the tomb. So you get a Roman seal over the tomb. They put this heavy stone over the tomb and then they place Roman soldiers there to guard the tomb. Do you really think these apostles went, took on those soldiers, broke the Roman seal, which would have been a, a, a great violation of Roman law, and move away that heavy stone. Do you think they really did that? I mean, think about those apostles. How are they doing on Good Friday? Are these men of great bravery, great courage, great faithfulness? Eleven out of the twelve apostles abandoned Jesus. One, you know, we know Judas ends up betraying him. Peter denies him three times. And the others all just scatter. They're so scared for their own lives. They're hiding in this upper room, so nervous. Uh, do, do you really think that suddenly in just 48 hours, they muster up all this courage to go take on the Roman soldiers, move that stone, break the seal, steal the body, and then go try to tell everybody this lie that, they, that, that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you, do you really think that's what they did? Again, theoretically, is that possible? It doesn't seem likely. So I don't think the apostles 
stole the body. I think we can be have great confidence that that, that theory doesn't make sense. Now, there are a couple other theories. I'm not going to spend as much time on them. I just want you to be aware of them. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I'm going to share two of them that are just kind of, they're kind of crazy here, but you should be aware that there have been serious people have written books and threw these theories out there. One of them is the hallucination theory. Have you ever heard this one? That the apostles were so distraught that Jesus died that when they go to the tomb, they just have a hallucination. They they say that, oh, Jesus appeared to me. <laughs> and, 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 they, and, they, and they're all claiming that they had visions of Christ. And, and some people say, oh, it's just a hallucination. It was a traumatic event. You know, they're having a psychological breakdown and they just have this hallucination. But think about that. I mean, an individual maybe having a private experience claiming that they saw someone, but a group hallucination, you know, all of them together all at once, <laughs> claiming that they saw the risen Christ and Mary Magdalene claiming to see the risen Christ and 500 other people, St. Paul says, saw the risen Christ and uh, St. Paul himself claims later to see, have seen it. Like, so Bobby, just keep having like this, you know, contagion of, of, of hallucinations going on. That doesn't seem likely, you know, and, and a hallucination maybe for a few seconds, a few minutes, I've heard of stories like that, but a 40 day long hallucination. Wow, until he ascends to heaven. That that's amazing. <laughs> so it doesn't seem doesn't seem likely. And if and if that was really happening, all you needed to do to stop this crazy person's new religion, you know, all these crazy people going around saying that they saw Jesus, is just go to the tomb and just pull out the body and show them, look, look, here he is. You did not see Jesus. So that doesn't seem likely. I, I want to share with you another one. This one is, is another theory that was out there. It's called the swoon theory. This was the belief that Jesus didn't really die. He was just half dead or, or did you ever see the movie Princess Bride? He was just mostly dead. <laughs> he was just mostly dead. Not, not all dead, but just mostly dead. And then he, he comes out, you know, three day and you know, on the third day, he, you know, comes to his senses again. He's, he's conscious again, and he's able to go out of the tomb, escape and go find his friends, the apostles. And that, that's what people say. Some people say that that's what really was going on. Jesus wasn't actually dead. He was just mostly dead. Again, if you saw Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, I think that's a very historical, accurate portrayal of what Romans would do in a scourging and in a crucifixion. And as I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on the show the, the other week, that Jesus experienced a most severe, torturous scourging. He was practically dead by the time the scourging was done. And so there's no way he was just mostly dead by, by the time he was done crucified, being crucified. In fact, we know the tradition that the Romans always broke the bones of the, of the soldiers. That's what they usually did, of the prisoner, that is. The Roman soldiers would break the bones of the, of the legs of the prisoners to make sure that that person was really killed. But when, and they did that for the other two people that were crucified that day. But when they get to Jesus, do you remember what John's gospel tells us? In John chapter 19, do you remember? It tells us that they get to Jesus and they realize, oh no, we know he's dead. <laughs> he's really dead. <laughs> Not just mostly dead. He's really dead. We need to, you know, we don't need to break his bones. And John's gospel highlights that to just show, look, he, he really died. And in fact, then they take the spear and, and, you know, and pierce his side and the water and the blood come out. You know, so this is not a man that was just swooning and just half dead or mostly dead or unconscious. No, think about this. I mean, I think this theory requires more faith <laughs> than even the belief in the resurrection, maybe. I mean, think about this half dead or mostly dead man suddenly regaining consciousness inside his tomb and then getting all this incredible strength suddenly to push away the stone and fight off those Roman soldiers and go off and find his apostles. I mean, that requires maybe greater faith than the, the resurrection itself. But there's, there's some funny theories like that, but I want to be, I want to share with you a couple that are, are serious and 
these are theories that you may encounter. I'm going to share with you one that I sadly encountered one Easter morning when I went to Mass. I'm so sad that this happened. I can't believe that this happened to me. I had studied about things like this. I'd read theories uh, about this. I knew that there were scholars that held to this strange theory that I'm about to share with you. But I had never actually heard a Catholic priest from the pulpit proclaim this theory. And this priest did it not on any ordinary Sunday. He did it on Easter Sunday. I wasn't at home. I was traveling away and, and visiting some people I knew and just needed to find a mass and went to this parish. I'd never really been there before. And wow, the priest got up and he said this, Jesus didn't rise from the dead in his body. He wasn't a bodily resurrection, but he rose spiritually. It was a spiritual resurrection. And the priest goes on and says, you know, and if Jesus, you know, if we found his body in the tomb, that wouldn't shake my faith at all. To which I'm thinking, go tell that to St. Paul. St. <laughs> Paul, who said that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. <laughs> no, no, Jesus really rose from the dead. But I knew about this theory. And the theory I want to share with you is the idea of a spiritual resurrection. The theory says that, oh, this is just the, what, what happened with Jesus is simply his soul lives on, his spirit lives on. He's alive spiritually, and he's present to us today. Jesus really is risen from the dead, but in a spiritual sense. He's alive in my heart. He's, he's there to help me and to comfort me. Jesus is present in my heart. His spirit lives on, and he's present in my soul, present to my heart. I don't know if you've ever heard that theory. You might come across it. I did one day. I pray you don't, but I want you to know it's out there. And I want you to know that you might even hear Catholic leaders espouse this theory that is not what the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches. This is not what the Catholic Church proclaims. But they're getting it from some scholars that try to make a sophisticated argument saying, well, you know, what the apostles were talking about was just spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. It didn't have to do anything with the body. It's not a physical thing, but it's just about Jesus living on spiritually. What you need to know, though, is that in the New Testament, the word used to describe resurrection is the Greek word anastasis. And that Greek word means re-embodied existence. It's all about the body. The particular word for resurrection is all about the body. It's about somebody that dies but, and, and their spirit lives on, but their spirit is existing again with its body. So the whole point is that you, you have a re-embodied existence. It's all about the body. That's what the word resurrection means. The resurrection, the word in New Testament, anastasis, is about bodily re-existence. It's a re-embodied existence. The idea of a spiritual resurrection, a resurrection that's not bodily, that's like an oxymoron. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense out of the basic New Testament word, anastasis. And, and besides, just imagine, imagine St. Paul going into Rome, you know, and going around and he's proclaiming, hey, there's this guy that died and we really liked him and it's sad that he died, but he's still alive in my heart. I just don't think you're going to get that many Romans to, to convert to a religion like that. <laughs> He's just alive in my heart. No, no. What moved people's hearts, I mean, it, it was it was countercultural. It wasn't something expected, but it was so, uh, it was a crazy idea, but it, it, it captivated people's minds when, when Paul would proclaim, Jesus rose from the dead. They all know what that word meant. It meant re-embodied existence. So, uh, the idea of a spiritual resurrection is just simply not 
that, that's not Catholic. That's not what the word resurrection means. Uh, it's an oxymoron, and it would have never it would have never worked. This religion would have never taken off. Christ's movement would have never grown exponentially for somebody just claiming, oh, this dead man, he's alive in my heart now. I don't think it would take off that well today, <laughs> but it certainly wouldn't have back then. Last thing I want to leave you with, and this is probably the most important. Uh, I think a number of people today might say, well, maybe these stories you're talking about in the New Testament that you read in the Gospels, maybe those stories were just fabricated. The stories themselves were just made up. You can't trust the New Testament. These are just legends. These are just fables. The apostles just invented these stories to make it look like Jesus rose from the dead, but he never really did. He just died like everybody else and his body was still in the tomb. Well, this one, I think I, I want to really push on this one here because I think some people can be swept away by that because they don't know a lot of history. They don't know a lot about Jewish history. They don't know a lot about Greco-Roman culture at the time. And I want to just give you a little dose of this <laughs> to, because once you understand the Jewish mentality and the, and the Gentile mentality around the Jewish people, the Greco-Roman world, you're going to realize these are not the kind of stories you would have made up. If you wanted to make up a story about Jesus and, and somehow his movement continuing on, you would not have told a story like this, that he rose from the dead. Why? Because you're not going to score any points with the Jews first. That's the first point I want to make. In other words, the Jews were not expecting individual resurrection. The idea of one individual man rising from the dead is not something they were expecting, not something they were hoping for, not something they were longing for. Now, I want to be clear, there were a segment of the Jews, the Pharisees and others, that believed in general resurrection. They believed in the resurrection, but they believed that all of the faithful Jews would rise from the dead together. So they believe in a general resurrection, but they didn't believe that the individual would rise from the dead all by himself, an individual like the Messiah. That, that was just not on their radar screen. So to make up a story like that isn't the kind of story you would make up and easily make a connection going, oh yeah, we knew the Messiah would come and we knew he was going to die. And we knew we'd rise from the dead. That, that was not what they were thinking. They believed in general resurrection, not the individual Messiah rising on his own. So you wouldn't have invented a story like this to win points with the Jewish audience. Well, maybe some people say, well, maybe they're not trying to win points with the Jews. You know, if you look at the early church, it, it grows tremendously in Gentile, with the Gentiles. So maybe, you know, Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they made up these stories to appeal to the pagans in the Greco-Roman world. Well, again, if you know historically the mindset of that ancient Greco-Roman world, they didn't believe resurrection was possible. They just didn't think it was something that could happen. And you might have myths and stories of somebody like appearing like in a vision, somebody coming back just for a short period of time, but somebody actually rising from the dead is just not something they thought was possible. And if you were from a certain strand of that ancient tradition, you, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't even want resurrection. Resurrection wasn't something desirable in the Platonic tradition. The great philosopher Plato said that you know that you didn't want to return to the body you you longed to be liberated from your body that your soul would go on after death uh, and you were finally freed free from the prison of your body why would you ever want to go back to it so again most of the pagans in the ancient world didn't believe resurrection was possible and even if it were possible, there would be many of them that didn't think it was even something desirable because you want to be liberated from the prison of your body. You don't want to go back to your body. 
So you're not going to score any points with the Jews by proclaiming individual resurrection. You're not going to score points with the pagans by proclaiming resurrection because they didn't think it was possible and they didn't think it was desirable. These aren't the kind of stories you would have made up. But I'm going to give a third reason here. You know, think about who, who's the first witness to the resurrection. When you read the gospel accounts, who's the first people to go to the tomb? Who's the first one to talk to Jesus in John's gospel? Do you remember in the risen Jesus on Easter Sunday? Mary Magdalene. It's the women. The women are the first witnesses. Mary Magdalene principally. Think about that. Now, I'm going to share with you something that's unfortunate, but it is a historical reality of the first century Jewish world. Not saying this is good, but this is just the way it was back then. And you just need to be aware of this, that that women were not considered reliable witnesses in the first century Jewish world. When they were giving testimony in the courtroom, a woman was not considered to be a reliable witness. And so, again, I think that's that's unfortunate. It's not good that it was that way, but, but that, that is the reality. And if you were a Jew like Peter or John, and you're going to make up a story about Jesus risen from the dead, and back in the, given that, that cultural setting, you wouldn't have used a woman as a witness if you were just fabricating the story. But yet, they all tell us, the New Testament points to this very truth, that it was a woman who was the first witness to the resurrection. That, that, that only makes sense if that actually really happened. If you were trying to make up a story, you wouldn't have made it up that way. And then finally, all the details of the story, if you look at the, if you read all the gospel accounts, I don't know if you've ever done that, if you just read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, they're all, you know, very close, they're very similar, but they're not exactly on point. In other words, they don't, all the details don't match up precisely. I don't want to say that they, they, they contradict, but, you know, that you can harmonize them, but they don't sound like the kind of uh, accounts that were written by four people who were colluding together. You know, they, they, they met in a dark room and said, okay, hey, Matthew, you say this point and, you know, Mark, I'll, I'll say the same thing. And John, you say the same thing. We're going to say the exact same thing so we get our story straight. You don't get the sense that they were cooking the books, so to speak. They weren't, you know, collaborating together to try to, you know, make the same story. They sound like eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses, when they report an event, don't match up exactly, precisely, but you can get enough of a picture. And, and people in law know that that's how this works. You know, you have, when there's a car accident and people are eyewitnesses, they all tell different parts of the story, but it may not match up exactly, but it's pretty close. Or you think about those eyewitnesses that survived the Titanic and they were in the lifeboats and they're all giving different accounts of what happened when the ship went down. And and again, they all are close, but they're not exactly like, you know, on point. And, and if you read, the gospel accounts, you'll notice the same thing. So for example, when did the women get to the tomb? Do you know, when did the women get to the tomb? Well, one gospel says it was dark. Another gospel says it was morning. Another one says it was dawn. Which one's right? I would say all of them are right, but they're all like describing it just slightly you know, from a different perspective. You can describe the time when the you know morning begins is still dark or you could just you could describe it as being you know the bright shining sun rising and you know or it's dawn like there's different ways you can describe that time but they they describe it all a little bit differently it's not exactly on point or or how many angels were there there's a quiz for you how many angels were there at the tomb on Easter Sunday well was was it one was it two you know, gospels don't exactly match up they sound like eyewitnesses Reliable eyewitness testimony. I think that's what we see in the resurrection accounts here. You don't get the sense that they were all in a room making it all together to make their details all match up precisely, exactly. 
you get the sense that it's just eyewitness testimony because that's what they were based on. So my friends, there are good reasons for believing in the resurrection. We have to have faith. It's something divinely revealed to us and our minds ascend to it in faith, but it's based on good reasons. And I think the best answer for why is it that Jesus's movement, unlike all the other messianic movements of the first century, why is it that Jesus' movement, when, his, when he dies, when the leader dies, the movement doesn't die, but it takes on in greater proportions, grows exponentially. It's just incredible. Why did that happen? The answer is St. Paul. The answer the early apostles gave, those early Christian leaders gave, is that Jesus rose from the dead. And I think that's the key answer to that crucial historical question of what made Jesus and his movement so different from all the others. And there's really good reasons to support that. Hope this has been helpful for you in this Easter season. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can find me on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. Thanks for listening and God bless.